Tonight, I'm changing my approach. I got a rocking chair. And I got a crocheted blanket that was made just a couple minutes ago by Natalie sitting on the front row. Give it up for Miss Natalie. And tonight, we're going to imagine that we're on the lake. Grandpa sits in the rocking chair, pulls out a blanket with his grit kids and grandkids, and just decides to have some story time tonight. But in order for it to be authentic, we need a loon call. I did that the opening night, and everyone looked at me like I was a sick, dying loon. I heard, though, there's a young man who does a really good loon call. His name is Lane. Is Lane in the audience somewhere? He went to kids' church. Okay. Is there anyone else that can do a great loon call? Come on up. Come on up. Wait, hold on. I won't have him come. Let's just see if we hear one. Go ahead. You guys, you guys clapped way too soon. Just listen. Everyone, please don't clap. No one applause. Listen. Close your eyes. You're on the lake. Fire is crackling behind you. Mosquitoes are landing on you every so often. I want you to listen for the loon on the water. <laughs> I think we have another loon that just died. I'm hearing crow sounds. Gah! Gah! Tonight, I'm preaching a message titled, Final Words. Before I get into tonight's message, I know we have some newcomers. My second family in Cold Spring, Minnesota is here tonight. They're in the back. They decided to come as a church. Thank you for coming. And uh, this is a picture of my wife, Steph. We met at North Central University in downtown Minneapolis. She's been leading worship this week for the youth. This is a picture of my baby girl, Everly. And uh, my wife's a worship leader in the cities. And so she leaves early Sunday morning. She said, Micah, would you mind dressing our baby and getting her ready for church? I said, how hard is it to dress a baby? It can't be that hard. You put clothes on it, it's fine. So I dressed my baby like that and I brought my baby to church. And all these females were staring at me in the church lobby and my baby. And I'm like, I know why you're staring, because she's cute. And I did a good job dressing my baby. And then these group of moms, they walked up to me and they said, Micah, did you dress your baby this morning? I said, I sure did. And I did a good job, didn't I? And this mom, full of truth. She looks at me and she goes, Micah, you need to know something. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, when you dress a baby, the first thing you do is put on the onesie and then you put on the pants. <laughs> if you saw nothing wrong with that photo and you're a man, well, neither did I. <laughs> neither did I. Did the baby have clothes on it? Yeah, it did. Does the baby look cute? Yeah. I'm a man. In the morning when I wake up, I put on pants and then my shirt. It's not that hard. It's not rocket science. 
There's all these crazy methods to dress babies nowadays. Isn't it crazy how fast time flies with our kids? Just a little while ago, they were a little baby. Remember the first time she was born? Holding her in my arms. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. And, uh, and now... She's this year's old. You can see her on the screen. Now she's five. And it's crazy how we can make life so much about our job, the overtime hours we work. And then in a blink of an eye, it seems it's a wedding day or now they're having kids of their own. And life can seem to just go by like that. And... I would be a very inappropriate father if I did not dress my daughter like this, the next picture, and bring her to her first Vikings game. I'm not at a game. I'm at camp. I got carried away. I saw a young man with a nice mullet and a nice hat, but he was wearing the wrong shirt. He wore a Packer shirt tonight to church. Oh, I, oh, I, that guy. Yeah, that's the guy I saw. That guy, you know what I did? I let him have it the minute I saw him when he walked in the doors. I said, go Vikes, go Vikes. That's right. Sorry, let's not fight. Let's forgive each other. <laughs> let's just forgive one another. And um, speaking of wishing life away or sometimes maybe life passing by so fast, I think what our kids will remember the most is not how much money we made. It's not even the great ministries we have. I think what our kids will remember most are moments like these. Take a look at this video. Tonight, I'm surprising my five-year-old little girl on a daddy-daughter date night. Surprised her with her first ever Twins game. Made a little card saying, can I take I you on a date tonight? She said yes to the date. Got her a Twins jersey. She wanted Culver's for dinner, y'all. Had a corn dog. Took her to her first game to Target Field. Played some bags. Did some jumping jacks. I couldn't. Had to watch the pictures warm up. And had to embarrass her. Had to get the dipping dots. And she's passed out. You know, you know, those are moments that as dads. As moms in the room, we get to help create those kinds of moments. Tonight, I'm preaching a message titled, Final Words. I don't know if you've ever seen someone pass away, if you've ever been in the room when someone took their last breath. 
But to be in a room where you see life that was once there, wasting away slowly by slowly, to watch and witness death, but then to hear someone's final words can be telling about a life. I remember it was a summer night like this. I just got done playing softball, church softball. I was driving home with the windows down, cranking some country music, driving down the highway. The smell of bonfires was in the air, people grilling on a summer night. And as I was driving my car down the highway, I saw something that made me just stop. And one of the things my dad and I, that we shared a love over, is we shared a deep love over this instrument called a bagpipe. It goes like this. Something like that. Kind of like my loon call. Way off. And I'm driving and I see this man playing a bagpipe in the field and I live in the suburbs of Minnesota, and, and it was the most ironic sight. You never see man in a kilt playing a bagpipe. And so I turn around, and I say, I want to know what this man's doing. About 7.30 at night, I, I pull up on the side road, and this man's in a field, and he's playing the song, Amazing Grace. And uh, I picked up the phone, I called my dad that night. Went straight to voicemail, he didn't pick up. Called him a second time, because I knew in this moment, man, my dad would love this moment. Man, we loved bagpipes. So I call him a second time, and goes to voicemail again, and hey dad, it's your son. You're not gonna believe where I am, it's the sun setting, I'm, I'm pulled over on the side of the road, and dad, there's this guy playing the bagpipes, and, He's playing the song Amazing Grace. Dad, I'm just calling because I knew how much you loved this moment. Dad, I wish you were here. Wish you could uh, be here to share this moment with me. But I, here, Dad, listen. Dad, just listen. You got, you got to listen to it. And I hold my phone out the window and amazing grace, how sweet. The sound that saved a wretch. My dad's listening to the song. And I said, Dad, I just want you to know I love you so much. I'm thinking of you. When I hung up the phone, I didn't realize that those would be the final words I would ever say to my dad. My dad was with his girlfriend at the time, listened to the voicemail, he started crying. He was sitting in a bar. He said, man, I wish I could have been with my son. My dad got on a motorcycle, left the bar, and that would be when he took his final breaths. I lost my dad at a young age. And sometimes when we think of death, we think of death as maybe when I'm 90, maybe some far time off. But the reality is, is we have one life, and that's it. And I just have a question. Will our final words 
that we say in this life, will our final words match a life that lived the final words to the full? There was a Lutheran pastor, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He grew up during the times when Hitler began to take over. And Dietrich was one of the few who caught on early, this man's a fraud, this man's a fake, and I am gravely concerned for our country, I'm concerned for Germany, I'm concerned for the church. A lot of the Christian church leaders in Germany in that time were submitting to Hitler's rules. Hitler would be a great spokesman, a great speaker, would even make and save face with Christians because he knew he needed Christians on board to bring his Nazi agenda to the forefront. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the few who resisted the tide. Hitler came striking down on the pastors, came striking down on the churches. Now the churches were being, were being monitored. Every word they said were being monitored by secret spies of the German Nazi government. But there was this man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who loved the scriptures, who loved to pray, and was formed in a powerful way by being a disciple of Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer led seminaries across Germany in rural areas to train pastors, train ministers, because he knew the gospel had the hope of saving Germany. Well, Dietrich was conspiring in plans to kill Hitler. Before this, he wrestled for years if God could approve killing another man. Dietrich had read his Bible over and over and it took him a while, but finally he realized the evil in this man, Hitler, would be better off dead than if he were to keep living and still kill all the Jews. Dietrich was a man who began conspiring in an underground movement to take off Hitler. He was captured and he was prison, put in prison for months. And then in the day of 1945, just before the war ended, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was sentenced to be hanged. And I want you to hear the final words and the final moments of this man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. While being led away, he turned a fellow prisoner pain best. And this is what he said. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. After the war, a concentration camp medical doctor reflected on the German pastor's final moments. Here's what doctor said. He said, through the half door in one room of the hut, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout, so certain that God had heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed the steps of the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. When we take our final breaths in this earth, when we see life coming to an end, what will your final words be? How will we have lived our lives? Will we have built empires that look to serve us? Will we have built reputations that made it about our kingdoms? Will it have been about our bank accounts, our jobs? Will it have been about our egos? Will it have been about me, me, me? 
Or can it be said of every person in the room that that was a man, that was a woman who was completely submissive to the will of God? We have one life to live, and are we living it unto Jesus? Is our life marked by the compassion and grace of Jesus? Is our thinking so small and futile? Is our thinking so tiny? Have we lost sight of how big, amazing, and glorious our God really is? Will our breaths and remaining breaths be filled with faith? Will our remaining breaths be filled with the Spirit? Or will it be filled with worry, contempt, grief? Envy. There is an attack on families today, unlike anything we've ever seen in our history. There is an attack on marriages. There is an attack on our children. And what we need more than ever are families, entire families. We need men in this room. We need grandpas in this room. We need men who will be devout, who will stand up and be completely laid out, submissive to the will of Christ. We need entire families who will build their whole family on the word of God. We need men and women who will die to themselves, who will pick up their cross every day, whether they are seen or known, whether their name is shouted from the rooftops or not, we need people who will tremble at the name of God. We need people who will be so moved by the Holy Spirit, who will be so filled with faith that when the world looks dark, they stand uncompromised, full of faith and full of the Spirit. So how do I do this? How in my five years left of life how in my remaining months or how in my remaining 80 years of life, how do I live this thing out? How do I build my families? How do I raise my families in such a way to live a life fully alive in Christ? Well, I want to lead you in a section of scripture that shows us the final words of someone who lived his life well and full. You see, where I'm leading you today there's someone by the name of Joshua, where at the age of 90 years old, he is tasked to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Now let's stop right there. For 90 years, this man was never the number one in control and leadership. Young people, do not miss what I'm about to say. God cannot bless when we dishonor authority. God cannot bless when we dishonor our parents. Joshua never would have been tasked to lead the Israelites had he never known how to honor leadership above him. Now let me speak to the 90-year-olds in the room. Some of you think your time is done or you're ready to go. But the very fact you have breath in your lungs means you have a purpose on this earth. We need 90-year-olds on the mission field. We need 90-year-olds in the 42% of the world that's never heard the gospel. We need 90-year-olds who will stand in the gap as intercessors. We need 90-year-olds who will wake up at 2 a.m. and begin to cry out for the next generation. We need 90-year-olds who will stand in the gap and pray for revival to hit from coast to coast in America. We need every single saint on this place to be full of faith at the age of 90. 
And for the next 20 years, Joshua leads. And now we get his final words at the age of 110 years old, where shortly after this, he passes away. How in the world do we build families that last? How in the world do we lead and live in a way that God's calling us to lead and live? Number one, if you're taking notes, is this, is we're called to gather our families around the story of God. We're called to gather our families around the story of God. It says in Joshua chapter 24, it says in the sermon that Joshua gives, he gathers everyone together, and this is what it says. It says, then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officials of Israel. They presented themselves before God. And then for the next 12 verses, Joshua tells the whole family of God what God has done for him. In his final moment, in his final prophetic declaration, you know what he's doing? Get everybody, every man, every leader, every person you know, gather them around. And here's what I want you to remember. Look at what God has done. Don't ever forget the faithfulness of God. Don't ever forget the stories of God. Don't ever forget what God has done. How God's delivered you. God gave you this land. God drove out these enemies. God did this. God led us out of slavery. I don't know about you, but when I am old and gray, I want to be the grandpa that sits in the rocking chair. And for hours, I gather my kids and my grandkids, and I say, let me tell you what God has done. Let me tell you about the goodness of God. Let me tell you about the faithfulness of God. The whole reason why I travel and preach across America, the whole reason why I preach the gospel is because Psalm 71 gives a command for all of us that even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power and your faithfulness to the next generation. On every single parent in the room, on every single grandparent in the room, every single leader and pastor, we have an obligation to tell and to speak and testify about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the power of God, the wonders and the miracles of God. We have that onus on us to tell the next generation. So when I leave a camp, when I get done ministering at a church, if I can answer the question, Micah, did you faithfully declare the power of God? And if I can say yes, then I have done my job. So what I want to be when I'm 70 and 80 years old is I want to be the grandpa on the rocking chair that says, let me tell you the stories of what I've seen God do. Unfortunately, America has sold us a lie. America has told us to build legacies of wealth, legacies of empires, of things that all turn to dust, that all become moth, rust, and destroy on this earth. But the one legacy that lasts a lifetime is the word of God that is eternal. The fruitfulness of who Christ is will last forever. After all, there will be a fire test. There will be a test that comes to burn up every single person's work. And we will find out if our work was in vain or if we will find out if our work passed the test. We are called to gather our families around the story of God. How do we do this? Number one, bring your family to church every Sunday. Get your family to church every Sunday. Your children are not the parents of your family. You are the parent of the family. If you say you go to church, then your whole family is going to church. You are the parents. 
You are the leaders of your home. We gather around the story of God. Now statistics are showing that one out of four families say they go to church every Sunday. And when they ask them, well, where do you go to church? Well, I go to this church. Well, how often do you go? They say, well, we go one Sunday every eight weeks. They view that as a regular attender. Y'all, can I just tell you, we need the word of God every single day in our life, and we need to gather together as a fellowship. We need to gather ourselves around the story of God, because here's why. Every Sunday morning, you show up, you know what your pastor's going to pull out? He's going to pull out the Word of God, because the Word of God teaches, it corrects, it reproofs, it helps, it encourages, and every single week, we need our families gathering around the preaching Word of God. Every single week. My son... After a Sunday morning, he comes home from church. My wife is outside with him. And my son grabbed my golf club. And he's in the yard. And my son is hacking at a rock. Just taking the golf club and striking the rock. My wife says, Malachi, stop. Hey, stop hitting the rock, Malachi. It's dad's golf club. My son goes, mom, no. He's defying my wife. He keeps striking the rock with the golf club. My wife says, Malachi, stop. He goes, Mom, God told me to do it. <laughs> Mom, God told me to strike the rock. My wife goes, no, Malachi, God did not. He goes, Mom, I'm thirsty. <laughs> Mom, I'm trying to get a drink of water. Just let me strike it. You want to know why he came home and struck a rock with my golf club? It's because he was in church on a Sunday morning and he heard the word of God. And my son had enough faith to believe God was going to give him water too. Y'all, when our kids show up to church, you better believe they're hearing the word of God too. We need to gather families around the word of God. By the way, if you think church is the solution to raising your family the right way, you have missed it. Because they will catch what you live out more than what you teach them. And what, what they need to see you is they need to see you personally gathering yourself around the story of God. One of my favorite things are is this picture of my little boy Malachi. My kids, they don't, they don't care that their dad speaks to thousands of people every year. They're not moved by crowds. Or, but you want to know what I pray never leaves the mind of my children? Is that every day they would just see a dad with his Bible open. And just see a dad who says, hey, this is important. The other day, my little girl pulls out her kid's Bible and sits next to me. And I said, Everly, what is your Bible telling you? And she goes, Dad, my Bible says I need to watch a TV show right now. <laughs> she loves to watch television. <laughs> Dad, my Bible said I need to watch the show. Those are fun moments to have with my kids. 
And then parents, when we blow it, and when we make mistakes and our kids watch it, let's be honest. And let's tell our kids, hey, what dad did there, that was wrong. I want to say I'm sorry. That was not the right way. Because you know what kids love? Is when they watch their parents humble themselves to realize that they're imperfect and they need God's grace every day too. We're called to gather our families around the story of God. How do I do this? My parents were married for 17 years of marriage. My dad was a youth pastor. And the youth group would meet in our basement. Before I could ever get to join the youth group, my dad walked away from the church, said he'd never step foot inside a church again. He left my mom for another woman. My dad went into a life of drugs and hard alcohol. I have three younger sisters. I became the man of the house at 12 years old. I watched a single mom work multiple jobs and go to school to try to get a degree because for 17 years she was a stay-at-home mom. I could never ask my family for money. My mom was wondering if the rent for our home was going to be paid. She didn't know if child support was going to be paid on time. You want to know what I watched a single mom do with four kids? She picked up a phone and she said, where's the best church that I can bring my kids to? Her friend said, you need to bring your kids to a church called Bloomington Assembly of God. It's now called Cedar Valley Church. My mom, a single mom, just lost her husband of 17 years of marriage. She hadn't been to church in a little while, and she shows up in the church parking lot. There I am as a teenage boy. My mom says, Mike, I want you to get out of the van and come to church. I said, Mom, I'm not coming into church because my dad doesn't want to be involved. I don't know anybody in that church, and it's huge. I'm staying right here, Mom. My mom looked at me, and she said, if you don't get out of the van, I'm going to go get a man from the church to come get you to bring you into church. <laughs> you know what I've realized, teenagers? Don't mess with crazy church moms. <laughs> they don't play. They will do what they say. And I didn't think my mom would do it. I was like, no, you won't. So my mom leaves with my three sisters, gets them checked in. Sure enough, I see a big man come walking out of church with my mom. I immediately hide under the van. I hide under the van seat. And I'm, I'm thinking, my mom, my mom's going to see, oh, Mike is not in the van. He must have been a good boy and gone into church. Crazy church moms know, y'all. The man opens the door. He sticks his head under the door. He goes, son, you need to get out of the van. You need to come to church and obey your mom. I walked into church, and little did I know, I'd end up meeting one of my best friends who'd be the best man in my wedding. And uh, the best decision a single mom ever did is she knew she didn't have the strength to raise four kids on her own. But what my mom attempted to do is she knew if she could get her kids to church on Sunday, that they might have a chance to gather the family around the story of God. And that that might impact the future of these kids' lives. Don't miss what I'm about to say. When I preach in different churches across America all the time, I don't view myself as a guest preacher. But when I look in the audience when I preach, I see men in the audience who became spiritual fathers to me. I see people who paid for me to go to summer camp 
when my mom couldn't afford it. I see grandpas who sacrificed and paid for me to go on my first missions trip when I couldn't afford it. I see people who brought over groceries to a single mom's home who knew they couldn't afford groceries. When I look at you, I see myself as a product of someone who knew what it meant to have a mom who gathered her family around the story of God. Do you realize when we miss church, we miss out on miracles? When we choose to isolate and not be around the family of God, we miss out on potential miracles that he can bring in kids' lives. And the reason why I have a microphone in my hand today is because of pastors like Jerry Strandquist who saw a call of God on my life and paid for all my school to go to North Central University. Because of pastors like Ryan Skoog and Chris Book. Because of pastors like Doug and Vicki Graham who just have a passion to raise up leaders. Do you realize we miss out on miracles when we choose to not show up and gather our families around the story of God? I'm a byproduct of people like Mark and Barb Dean. I'm a byproduct of Clarence and Kirby St. John. When we gather ourselves around the story of God, it's like all of a sudden we remember how good God is, how faithful he is, what God can do, how God can write the story better than we can. So how do we build families that make it? We do what Joshua did. We say, hey, everybody, you need to remember what God did. You need to stop for a second. Don't you realize everything we even have is because of him anyway? Everything we even can even testify about is because of God anyway. So gather yourself every day around the story of God. And then number two, we rid our houses of sin. After you've been reminded of what God's done, after you've heard what God's done for you, now there's a challenge. In verse 14 it says this, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Here's the call. Here comes the challenge. Throw away. Here it is. It's kind of like last night's message. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Joshua is saying this, have nothing to do with the sin that your grandfathers did. Have nothing to do with the sin that your ancestors did. Joshua is saying this, you don't have to follow the sins of previous generations. Now that you have seen the faithfulness of God, now that you've been exposed to how good he is, have nothing to do with sin that will separate you from him. Get rid of it. So what sin have we easily allowed into our homes that is following the previous sins of our fathers and our mothers? Because God has called us to rid our homes of sin. And I'm talking your physical home right now, but I'm also talking your temple, which Paul describes as your body, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What sin are we saying yes to that's allowing us to follow the sins of our parents and our grandparents that committed the same exact sins. God has called us to lay them down, to get rid of them, to literally, it might even be physically, throw it away. You want to know one of the best ways to rid your house of sin? 
is to pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your home. And when I say conviction, I don't mean condemnation. I mean every day you ask for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I was at a conference and Pastor Rob Ketterling was speaking. And he said every night before he goes to bed, he lays his head on the pillow. He says, Holy Spirit, show me where I have sinned against you today. And this is what Pastor Rob said. He said, I would rather ask for forgiveness on my bedside every night than to one day have to stand up in front of my church and tell them how sorry I am for some hidden sin I never brought to the light. Every single day, we need the Holy Spirit to show us where we have grieved him. Because affairs don't happen in one moment. They happen with small steps. Small things that we are doing that we aren't understanding that maybe might not even be realizing that we're grieving the spirit. Number two, you want to know how you rid your house of sin? You pray for the gift of discernment over your children. Don't miss this. The other day I was out of town. There was something inappropriate on my TV. My two little children were watching it. My wife walks out into the room. My wife said, kids, what is this? My wife quickly shuts off the TV. And my wife gets down eye level with my five-year-old and three-year-old. She says, kids, what was just on the TV is not appropriate. And this will not be in our home. And then this is what she said, kids, we're going to pray right now. This is powerful. Don't miss this. She said, God, would you protect our kids from sin? God, let there not be sin in our home. And then this is key. She said, God, would you put a fire in their belly when they see something inappropriate again that makes them want to run from what they see? Not even a week goes by and my wife hears Everly saying, Malachi, Malachi, turn it off. My wife runs out there again. My wife said, what's going on? Everly said, there was something bad that came on the TV, mom. And mom, I felt a fire in my belly when I saw it. When we see our kids sin, those will become some of the most defining moments on how we steward those moments. Because we are not called to bash them over the head. But the greatest way we ever see the Holy Spirit work is when we pray for our children. When we pray for our kids. I want to challenge the men for a second. I hope there is no one else praying more for your own kids than you. I welcome if any grandparent wants to pray for my kids. I need all the prayers I can get, y'all. But I don't want anyone to outpray me for my own children. Because your prayers have no expiration date. And God partners with the prayer of his kids for his own children. And by the way, for parents right now who are listening to this message, and you're thinking, man, I blew it. Can I just tell you, Adam and Eve had the most perfect parent and they still screwed up. You need to listen to me. Tonight we're going to pray for prodigals. Tonight we're going to pray for kids. Don't miss this. You can do things the best way that God calls you to do it and still see a kid walk away. That is not your fault. But listen to me. 
May we continue to pray for discernment, to pray over our children. Pray that they would love God all the days of their life. And may we as parents rid our house of sin. And my last point tonight, you probably could fill in the blank. But number three, this is how we build families. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Don't miss this. Verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, this is it right here. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You know, when we read this passage of scripture, we think that there was a line drawn in the sand in the final words of Joshua where he says, choose right now. But the Hebrew word that Joshua uses to choose who you're going to serve, it's a verb that meant past, present, and future. Joshua chose over and over, not just in that moment he was going to serve the Lord, but Joshua chose to fight against the Amalekites, choosing when it might cost everything. Joshua chose to reject the golden calf, choosing when the flesh might be satisfied. Joshua chose to serve the Lord by serving Moses, choosing a humble place. Joshua chose to believe God's promise about the promised land, choosing against the majority. Joshua chose to recognize the leadership of the captain of the Lord's army, choosing surrender to God. And Joshua chose to take leadership of Israel and lead them into the land, choosing faith instead of unbelief. This was not just a moment flippantly. Joshua served God in the past, served him in the present, and his future. He had made up his mind that as for me and my house, we will serve God. So who will we serve? How will we live our lives? Will our final words match the life we lived? Will our final words carry the punch of a life that was fully surrendered and lived unto Jesus? You know, my mom, she brought her kids to church, didn't know the outcome of her children's lives. But you want to know, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? My mom was one of eight children. They grew up in Minneapolis, didn't have a lot of food. You want to know where my mom instilled a value to get her family to church? It's because of this guy on the screen, my grandpa. Doesn't he just look like a grandpa? He looks like the grandpa from up, Russell's grandpa. Looks like he needs some balloons in his hand and a little boy named Russell to float up in the air with him. He's got the bucket hat on, 
You know what I loved about Grandpa Daniels? Is sometimes he'd be the only one laughing at his joke in a whole room full of people like this. But then everybody would laugh because he'd start laughing at himself for the joke he shared. My grandpa always said, blessed is a man with the quiverful. He would walk out into Christmas gatherings with his eight children and grandchildren and my grandpa would be standing up and leaning against a wall and he'd just look out at his kids and grandkids and you could see him just smile. My grandpa had this cup. He literally ate out of it, put grape soda in it, had every flavor known to man in this cup. That was the kind of grandpa he was. But my grandpa, he loved Jesus with all of his heart. And uh, my grandpa was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He didn't have much left longer on this earth. And the final words that my grandpa, that I ever heard him say to me, were some of the most powerful final words that I've ever heard and still lives with me today. When my grandpa knew he didn't have much longer left to live, he called all eight children, grandchildren over to his house. You wanna know what he did? He pulled out a note card and he wrote down a scripture verse for each child and grandchild. Before he passed away, he put his hands on them. He blessed them, he prayed over them. And I'll just say the greatest legacy I've ever been given is a grandpa like that who had a faith in Jesus and saw that he wanted his final words to be that of blessing over his children and his grandchildren. You want to know what scripture verse my grandpa prayed over me? I still have the note card today. Tell me if this is not prophetic or not. Here's Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. It's on the screen. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Can I just say just this last year, we've seen 7,000 people who were led to righteousness in Jesus, who gave their life to Christ this last year. The words you speak over your children and the words you pray and speak over your kids will last a lifetime. There is power in the tongue for life. There is power in the tongue for death. And you might be 80 years old sitting here tonight thinking about all the regrets and the mistakes, but let me just remind you, the devil loves to bring up your past because the devil doesn't have a future. And there's a God who can heal you redeem you, and yes, even at the age of 80 years old, the legacy of Jesus can live on for years to come starting today. What man will wake up tomorrow and begin praying for his kids? What man will wake up tomorrow and begin praying for his grandkids? It's time we step up. We gather our families around the story of God. We rid our homes of sin and we choose as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.